I'm Craig Ray with Keystone Oilfield Fabrication. Keystone Oil Fabrication. Let's talk a little bit about what your services are so we can get into the meat of the interview. So what, what do you guys do down there? Jason, we, we do a lot of things now. We started out in huh. 2011, January 2011, and uh, strictly building sand kings. Sand kings, sand hulks, sand chiefs, mountain movers, multiple names for them. But uh, we went from, we put a little business plan together in 2011 to build our first one in April and build a total of 40 for the year. And as you know, or likely know, Sand King's key component of the, the frack fleet on site. And our business plan was to build 40. Uh, that was in January before we built our first one. We increased that business plan to 60, and by the end of the year, we'd build 83. So basically, we went from zero revenue to 22 million in year one with no debt and put 83 units in the field. So that was our bread and butter. I mean, we were a one-horse operator, uh, and we realized that we needed to diversify over time, uh, and sooner it would be better. So uh, in 2012, we added a structural steel component for our for our business, and uh, since 2012, we've continued to add components of our business uh, all the way even, even to now, and perhaps even more so right now. We're having to diversify more so today than we ever have had previously, just due to the nature of the market. But I can tell you today, we do we don't build any sand kings. Again, as you probably likely know that that's a very antiquated piece of equipment. Uh, you can't give them away. I've got six out here in my yard. I'm looking out my window, looking at them right now. Can't give them away for for a thousand bucks a piece or or in that vicinity. And they're still good pieces of equipment. They still run. But sand silos have become the rage, or sandbox. Uh, their concept uh, took off and. Uh, how quickly did that change, if I may ask? Sorry to interrupt. I'm just, I'm, you know, it's so interesting how things can become a dinosaur or a TV repairman or, you know, a VHS, if you will. Uh, how quickly did the Sand King, I mean, it was it was your big bread and butter. How quickly did that go away? I mean, it, it felt like it was a year in that transition. Quick. When OSHA came out and said that they wanted to uh, decrease acceptable levels of respirable dust, silica dust. That put the onus on the industry to make changes because a sand king, that's, you know, you got pneumatic trailers that are blowing into a sand king, creates a bunch of dust in the marketplace or on the uh, frag side, which is bad to breathe. Uh, I think everybody would agree with that. Everybody knows that. So the thought was the industry had to build something different. We built silos. We went to a silo concept. The problem with our concept uh, is that we utilize cranes. We had a steel erection background or st structural steel background. We understand cranes. We use cranes on a regular basis. We thought that was the safest way to erect silos on a frac site location. But uh, we had some competitors that figured a, a better way to do that where they didn't have to have cranes, and the industry was reluctant to, crane, to use a crane. So uh, our concept was not the winner overall. But it did seem within a 12-month period, man, technology changed and the concept changed and uh, silos caught on. And then shortly, I guess a couple years after that, when the box concept really got got uh, got to moving. I mean, there were a lot of folks building boxes 
uh, or box concepts. But, I guess uh, I'm not familiar with uh, the advantage of a box over a silo. Uh, can, can, do you have like a layman's version of the difference between the two and why one would be more, I guess, advantageous than the other? Personally, I don't prefer a box. If I was a frac side uh, operator or uh, user of the, the concept, I don't like the box concept. I think the boxes jam up. I think you got too much heavy equipment on site, moving backwards and forwards, where manpower gets crushed or could get crushed. More, uh, there's more issues. You got to have a bigger footprint uh, for the box concept. Silos, I like them, even though we're not making them. Uh, they're they're mechanically very friendly. It's a gravity feed. Uh, the dust collection or the dust collector concept has been mastered sufficiently to where. It meets OSHA requirements, uh, and they take a smaller footprint on location. So, uh, I'm not a fan of the box concept. I'm still a silo guy myself, but I'm not having to make that call, and we're not manufacturing either. So, take that for what it's worth. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious about that. Just how some of those transitional things work, because uh, I mean, you're talking about micro niches within industry at this point. Yes. Um, exactly. You know, and and I get it. Sometimes it's preference, but sometimes, you know, sometimes the industry. And I've been told this by quite a few CEOs at conferences, and a lot of them have said it even on record. If people want to go back into the old database and listen to some of the old interviews, but they always warned of the uh, energy industry's herd mentality. You know, how it seems like they, they just, as a herd, they go towards things. And he said, sometimes, you know, you, you don't always hit 100%. You don't always bat 1,000. So you got to be careful about sometimes having herd mentality towards things just because it's cool or it's popular, et cetera. And that's what your your example kind of reminded me of that. So I, I was curious if there was just some reason behind it. But um, anyway, so I don't know if you want to comment on herd mentality or not, but. Well, I, I agree completely with the herd mentality, and, and you see that within our industry quite a bit. And I would not disagree one iota that uh, propent delivery, conveyance, and storage systems are or have proven to be very much uh, operating by a herd mentality. So it's it's prevalent. Let's talk a little bit about shut-ins, if you don't mind. Um, that, of course, is a huge topic right now that's going, whether it's getting a, a CARES Corona money or whether it's impacting people on a level that they've never seen before and whether it's really starting to show a lot of politicians that, boy, the oil and gas industry goes well beyond the term mining. You know, we got a lot of truckers that are basically oil and gas people and without a oil and gas uh, uh, well to operate that affects that specific trucker, trucking company, for example, you know, frac sand companies, if you will. Um, how, how are you guys being affected by the shut-ins? Have you guys uh, felt that pinch, that impact at all? Well, it, it, it's unprecedented, Jason. That goes without saying that the, the market has had a, such a detrimental effect. I mean, the oil patch was already slowing down. Then you layered on COVID-19. You've got an election year that comes into play. Uh, all those things amount to a perfect storm for our industry, uh, for our oil field industry. And, I mean, that's got – some of the best people I know have been furloughed or laid off or put out of business. Guys that I thought would never go away, 
men that I'd want to have in my foxhole any time I'd go to battle. We've had to lay off. We're a smaller company. With uh, We got up to about 145 folks or so. We've laid off uh, 22. And every one of those men were good, good men. And the shut-ins, uh, it's having a, a ripple effect. And politicians don't understand that. Uh, most people, the average citizen, doesn't understand that. But I saw something online uh, the other day that uh, showed the impact or showed the everything that oil products or, or oil and gas type products have an influence in. And you can't hardly you can't hardly go through the supermarket. You can't go through the grocery or the uh, Home Depot. You can't go through a, uh, a shop or down the road without uh, impact from the oil and gas industry. It's that critical to, to how we live and what we do. We've been saying for a while it's going to take a long time. I know my lifetime before they can even wean out of uh, fossil fuels. I mean, we're talking 93, 96% of things we use as part of our daily lifestyle have petroleum products from the toothpaste to the toothbrush to the petroleum that gets it there. So, I mean... So many different, you know, avenues that, that it's used in. And, and I get it. And the industry has slowly taken care of itself like it has over the last, you know, from, like I always say, we go from hay to wood, to, uh, whale oil to coal to uh, oil to natural gas. I mean, we've naturally decreased our carbon molecules over time. That, that that's, a, that, that's a natural progressive evolution that mankind has taken this this new crash course to insanity that's all new in the last 10 years i guess since probably since that al gore movie came out is really when the i call it the existential anxiety where they, they can especially in kids you know kids who are searching for their place in the world the environment is a very easy thing to connect with i mean it's it's almost like a religious experience it's it's i call it the cult of uh environmentalism because they're using it almost like a religion to where it's getting people to i don't know it's it's a different deal and it's not used in a good way i think anyway sorry you got me you got me going i we, we, i haven't talked about this in a while so you kind of put a quarter in me i got you up on your soapbox didn't i yeah you did well it's impacted the industry you know i mean and honestly before 2020 came our our marketing kit was ready for anything and the reason for that was we saw what the uh, 16-year-old girl was doing to the industry, you know, with uh, banks changing their their um, ESG f- formulation, if you will, to get to get financing. And you've got uh, Colorado. Uh, we call it regulations gone wild there. And so, it, you know, and then you impact in the, you know, the virus. That, that was a lot, you know. And then, of course, you got OPEC and everything. So the en- energy industry went through a lot and we say ready for anything we didn't really mean it like that but boy you you know you almost had to be prepared and from what it sounds like your company you know it's gone through some things but you've been able to diversify yourself in the past and it sounds like that's the direction you're doing now yeah that's exactly right Uh, 2018 was a great year and that was predominantly oil filled year for us i mean uh, our parent company is keystone synergy Keystone Oilfield Fabrication is one of the LLCs that basically uh, is captured by Keystone Synergy. But we have a Keystone Steel uh, Steel Services, Keystone Trucking Equipment, Keystone Mobile or uh, Crane Services. Got a variety of entities that hang off the Keystone Synergy brand. But looking back to eighteen, that was a great year for the oil patch for us. 
And then in 19, we had our best year ever, at least on the top line. And within that year, we started, we had three new initiatives. One uh, didn't go so well, and we've closed that down already. One is kind of on the fence line right now, Keystone Truck and Equipment. Uh, we've got a mobile maintenance group that's coming out of that, and they're uh, basically at break even. And then our crane services has just skyrocketed. Crane services, that's got us into the construction market as well as oil field market. That's got us into the utility uh, market, transmission and delivery uh, units, anything that had a crane in it, small crane, uh, knuckle booms, those type of things. And now here in 2020, uh, it's actually a real struggle. Our revenue is not going to be anywhere near what they were in 2019. But we've still had, I like to call it being opportunistic. Uh, we've got big things and little things coming out. Uh, we've got a storm shelter concept that is uh, being approved or being tested uh, right now. We'll, we'll actually sell that to the major home builders. Uh, it's just an outcropping of what we do with our uh, facility, our fabrication facility as it is. Uh, we've got a scoreboard concept that we're working with, with uh, another one of our vendors, and he brought that to us. And uh, I think that's going to be a big plus in the five-state area from where we're located here in Texas. Uh, we've got a container concept that uh, we're getting ready to kick off. Uh, that would be for government contracts or some uh, Fortune 100-type uh, folks. Uh, those are longer-term contracts, too, smaller margin. But uh, one of our sales guys got us in the, in the door there. and It's metal. It's welding. It, uh, it makes sense with what we do. Waste containers is a new concept for us that we'll uh, kick off here in the second half of the year. And then we actually have a small acquisition target that we're eyeballing uh, not too far away, not too far down the road from us. So uh, we've got plenty to do here in 2020. It's just been a lot tighter, a lot harder to do. Uh, and it, le legitimately, it's been a struggle. And it's going to be a struggle for the rest of the year, I think. But... Uh, it's interesting, too, because, you know, this is kind of some real talk. And the part that I, I like about it is, as I'm you know taking notes here, is you, people cringe when they hear the word struggle. And a lot of times people don't like saying that word because a lot, a lot, of, time, a lot of times reality is people don't, don't want to help people that are in trouble. They want to figure in business, you know, they want to figure out how they can, you know, uh, piggyback off their success, if you will. The part that I liked about what you did is you said, yeah, it's been a struggle. You know, we're trying to figure out how to make five bucks out of two bucks and how we're trying to figure out how to get one and a half employees out of half an employee and things like that. And those are normal. But you basically said you identified the opportunities. So, yeah, it's been a struggle, but we've identified the opportunities. And now we're going to go after those identified opportunities. That's the missing element I think a lot of people are missing in today's current uh, COVID economy, if you will. Yes. Yeah, you, you can't just play one. You, you know, it's great to be a rifle shot. I went to grad school, went to undergrad and business school, and the, the, the school of thought at the time was to be the very best of what you do in the one thing. Well, if we were just one thing, if we were just in the oil field right now, we would dry up and wither, wither away. And we've got to be more of a shotgun approach. For a company our size, we've got to be diversified and count on some different industries and different markets to be able to be sustainable, keep our key uh, intelligence together, our workforce together, so that when the oil patch does return, we're able to seize those opportunities and be ready 
when the when the gate opens. And that's really what we're trying to do: keep our core competency uh, core competencies in house, and keep our people together the best we can. Kind of wrapping up here, final thoughts, uh, Craig Razor, guest, uh, Keystone Oil Fabrication, as well as several other companies as well. Uh, just kind of, I like to give people last word, that way the question's not framed by me, and, you know, if there's something we miss, something we w- want to reiterate, you know, obviously make sure you uh, plug your business, that sort of thing. Appreciate you coming on to give us an update what's going on down there. Now, you're out of Texas, right? You mentioned out of Texas? We're in Rome, Texas, which is about 20 miles north of Fort Worth. Okay, and you you pretty much operate the five-state area you mentioned? Well, we've got equipment in all the basins and all the oil field basins. Uh, Our structural steel uh, would be covering here in Texas primarily. Our mobile maintenance would cover uh, all of Texas, and our crane services would go about a five-state. We'd get into Oklahoma, Louisiana, even in Mexico if need be. Sure. Uh, and then our waste concept that'll go all over. That'll go nationwide. Okay, that'll that'll just um, go from play to play. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, uh, final thoughts then. You know, I mean, what, what what do you think of the 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 outlook? I guess as far as uh, industry and how you guys are going to tackle the next half. Well, that's a that's a great question, and uh, I'd say that my dad was an independent geologist for sixty years, and he saw plenty of good years and plenty of bad. And as a kid growing up in that household, uh, I never went without. We never went without. And the patch always comes back. I've seen it over and over again. And the good news is, I believe, it will return again. And we're going to capture our piece of that market when it does come back. We're going to be ready for it. And it's uh, it's counting on great people. We've got an A-plus team, and we've been over backwards to be able to keep that team together. And I've got a partner in the business, Larry Christ. Larry Christ and I, we couldn't do anything what we do without our team. And we're so grateful for their uh, willingness to apply their talents and skills and resources to what we call Keystone. So we're going to keep investing in our people, believing in our people. And uh, when things do come back, it'll be our people that get us get us there.